What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... <coughs> I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Support for Away With Words comes from Mosey Online Backup. Mosey protects your valuable computer files against data loss from hard drive crash, viruses, theft, and other disasters. Visit mozy.com. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Here's a great piece of advice. It comes from Belize. Don't call the alligator a big mouth till you have crossed the river. I love that. Ah, that's oh, nice. That, that's that kind of like a, about not taunting bullies and, until uh, you're safely behind your door or something, right? Exactly. Right, with a little taste of don't count your chickens until they're hatched, mm-hmm. too. I love Proverbs. I love the way that they can sum up so much wisdom in just a few words. Yeah, they're culturally attached, aren't they? They're not the kind of thing that necessarily you're going to find the same Proverbs in every country, are you? No, and if you want proof of that, there's a huge book out called As They Say in Zanzibar, Proverbial Wisdom from Around the World. It's by the prolific language writer David Crystal. It's got a picture of a couple of elephants on the front, and it says, When two elephants tussle, it's the grass that suffers. It's ah, really profound, nice. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are more than 2,000 proverbs in this book, and it looks like he's done a great deal of research to pluck them out from as many cultures and languages as he could find. There's one I like from Cameroon. It is the pot that boils, but the dish gets the credit. In other words, mm. we often fail to give credit to people who do the real work, right? We'll give credit to the front man, like let's say, um, you go to a concert and there's Barbara Streisand is singing. We'll say, "Oh, Barbara's concert was great," but yeah. there, you know, there are 400 roadies, <laughs> right. you know, who helped Barbara do it. Exactly. So, so I love that. The Proverbs just a really great way of summarizing the lessons that we all eventually get around to learning. Exactly. Although I didn't see one of my favorites, which is, "Don't do your deep fat frying in the nude." I don't know why that one's not in there. How long did it take you to learn that lesson, Martha? (laughs) It's true. It's true. Trust me. And I thought those were freckles. (laughs) Believe you me, it's true. Well, if you'd like to talk about language, old sayings, new words, grammar, slang, you name it, call us. The number is 1-877-929-9673. That's 1-877-WAYWORD. Or send us your delicious emails to words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. Hello. Hi, who's this? This is Betsy from Cape Cod. Well, what's going on, Betsy? Well, we're looking for the polite word for the current spouse of your ex-spouse. So your ex-husband has a new spouse. Are you on good terms with them? Not necessarily. (laughs) Ah, okay, all right. And you want something for a polite word because, Uh I mean, at some point I might be somebody else's this. Right. Yeah, good point. Right, right, So right. what have you come up with so far? Um, well, one of my friends came up with um, her wife, because it's the current wife, but it also sort of, unfortunately, I felt that it kept the the other word in there. Right. <laughs> the cur. Um, cur- C-U-R-W-I-F-E. Yes. Okay. Uh, and, and the other hmm. one we found out, but again, it was, again, both that's a female thing, and then another female thing would, was that I came up with was, X-Ux, that's what it was, X-Ux. Ah. Because E-X. in all the legal stuff, I was always the Ux. Right. For, for 
Latin for wife. Right, uxor. Right, okay. So E-X-U-X. Yes. <laughs> well, that's kind of nifty. That's I don't, nice. It might be difficult to spread, though, because it's going to require you to explain it every single time that you say it. And I'm having enough trouble explaining the relationship the first time around. I don't want to have to be explaining it. I want a word that I can just say when I have to refer to this person or if I was on the other side when somebody had to refer to me, this is, this is what you call them. Is your relationship with your ex-husband such that you could call his new wife that poor woman? Again, somebody would think that I was being derogatory, and I don't oh, want to okay. sort of put that out there if I don't, okay. you know. You don't want to be mean to your ex-husband or his new wife, right? Right. I'm, right. I'm okay. trying to be, you know, I'm, I'm distantly related through marriage to Emily Post, and I'm trying to get this right. There we go. Generosity of spirit. I like that. <laughs> what about, um, like they do for Voldemort in the Harry Potter books and movies, call her you-know-who? <laughs> <laughs> Sort of derogatory, though. Well, that's the fun side of it. You can't say that. I got to tell you, then I'm 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 stumped because it brings out the kind of sharpest desire to be to be um, just a little mean, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but Betsy's point is that it could come back to bite her. Sure, sure. I could be that person one day. Right, you could. Not with my ex-husband, but with somebody else's ex-husband. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Grant will be the first person to tell you it's really, really, really hard to coin a word and get it into the English language. But I'm starting to think that, you know, English doesn't have an academy like the French, but I'm thinking we need a, a language academy of the air here just to designate words. Because because there are all kinds of words like that that don't exist yet for those right, kinds well, of relationships. Well, I, I, think, I think we just need to decide arbitrarily and spread it. I, I would agree with that. But let's just agree, I think Betsy already said this, that Kerwife doesn't work because it has C-U-R, which is a name for a dog in it, right? Right. I kind of uh, like X-Ux, it. X-Ux is pretty good. Um, it's, it's kind of awkward to say, but I, let's go ahead and put that number one on our list. And then I think we need to turn on the sirens, Martha, and get yep. the flashing lights going yep. and, and have the, the new word special and solicit requests from our listeners. Vood, what do you say to that, vood, Betsy? Vood, vood. What do you call, what's a one-word, short, easy-to-understand way to refer to your ex-husband's new wife? I don't know. I don't know what the yep. answer is. Yeah, but Betsy's having an I emergency. The word here is the polite word. Polite. The polite okay. word. Okay. All because right. everybody's been able to come up with with, with the impolite ones. Right. <laughs> you can call right. us one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or email us to words at waywardradio.org. Betsy, I want to thank you so much for calling us today. Yeah, help's on the way. Don't worry. <laughs> thank you so much. All on. right. Best All of right. luck. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, the coining one is always tough, Martha, because you can come up with something that you think is the cleverest thing in the world, and everyone else will go, eh, Exactly. Sorry. Exactly. <laughs> So call us, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send us an email with your suggestion for what to call the spouse of your ex. A polite term. It has to be polite or it will be disqualified. And you can send that to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Steve calling from Milwaukee. Hi, Steve. Hello, Steve. Hi there. I have a question that has been baffling me for the longest time, and I'm hoping that you two experts can help me with this one. Well, How long has it been? How long has it been? It has been a long time. And, you know, today it is a very warm day in Milwaukee, and last night it was very dark. And in February it usually snows, and in June it usually rains. And my question is, when I talk about it, what does it refer to? 
<laughs> it depends on what the meaning of it is. is the, what, what is it? What is it that's dark? What is it that snows? Given how common that construction is in English, I bet you are bothered by this every day of your life. <laughs> well, okay, it shows that I don't lead a really exciting life, and I'm worried about it. Um, <laughs> Well, first, I'll, so send what you, is it? I'll send you some brochures for national parks and you can have a good time. And then, <laughs> and then we'll talk about it. Yeah. Wow, this is a good question. I'm going to throw a little bit of language at you that you probably have never heard before. Have you ever heard of the weather it? W-E-A-T-H-E-R-I-T. The weather no. it, two words. No. That's what this is. It's called the weather it. And we almost always use this kind of it with... Uh, either questions about the weather or statements about the weather. Is it raining? Is it wet outside? Is it snowing? Is it blustery? And what is that it? That it is known as a dummy pronoun. And it works with verbs, also known as weather verbs, that don't need a subject. So does that also relate when I talk about walking into a room where the shades are pulled and the light is off and it is dark? Yes, it does. Yeah, the weather term, the weather it, the weather verbs is more specifically related to verbs that have to do with the weather. But in general, we're talking about these conditions where something is all pervasive or, or, or apparently universal, at least as far as the, the subject goes. And we don't need to specify that somebody is doing or somebody is being done to. So, so that's, that's the short of it. Wow. Well, I had a question that I've held near and dear for a long time, and I thank you for helping me with it. Let it go. Now what will you do with your life? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much I'll for your call, Steve. Thanks. All right. All bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I love getting wonky, Martha. I hope that wasn't too much. That was that was pretty wonky, but it I don't know. It does my heart good to know that there are linguists out there sitting around talking about dummy pronouns and and the and weather, weather it. and the weather it and getting very worked up about both of those, I'm sure. It's time to give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, And it's also time to send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Jen from Boston. Well, hello, Jen. This is Grant and Martha from New York City and San Diego. What's on your mind language-wise? You got a question for us? I do. I work in the medical practice, and during a rare down moment, one of our oral surgeons asked around the room if we knew the origin of the term eye teeth. Uh-huh. And we didn't, and he, he proposed a possible um, origin of the term, but I wanted to see what you thought. Hmm. Eye teeth, E-Y-E-T-E-E-T-H. These are the, uh, which ones are these, Martha? These are the longest ones, the pointiest ones? Right, the canines, correct? Okay. Yeah, the upper canines. The upper canines, mm-hmm. okay. Okay, so he had a pet theory about this? He did, and uh-huh. so we frantically started Googling because we're competitive, and we couldn't come up with anything. Um, I did find one OED reference, but it didn't agree quite with what he said. Oh, really? Well, so you're, you're going to hear what we have to say and then tell us what his theory is. Is that what I'm gathering here? That's what I'd like, yeah. Uh-huh. Ah, okay. Well, gosh, as far as I know, it's, it's the one that's, that's directly below the eye, right? Extends up, the root right. extends up uh, into the skull? Yeah, the, mm-hmm. the longest, these, the eye teeth have the longest roots that go way back up under the skull near the eye. This is why they have the expression, like pulling eye teeth. They're really hard to get out. If they were trees, their tap roots would be down you know, way past the center of the earth. <laughs> exactly. And that is what the OED reference indicated. Uh-huh, ah, but, 
But are you saying that the surgeon had some other theory? Well, there was just a little more to it. He said that because of the root going so close to the eye, if your tooth gets infected, it goes very rapidly up to your eye and causes, it, or it used to cause blindness very commonly. Oh, really? Ew. <laughs> That's good to know. I I had no idea. Is I didn't that a mean concern? to gross Martha out there. <laughs> you said you said used to. Is is this not a concern anymore? Uh, I'm not sure. I guess you know we've got more advanced dental medicine, so. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well, that's good. I think I'm going to take the doctor's word for it, Martha. Don't you? Uh, well, no? about the about the physical uh, effects there, but uh, I mean, it's it's interesting that you also hear the expression to give one's eye teeth. It's like your really right. valuable tooth. Right? Why? Why is that? Because these are the ones that can help you chew meat. I'd give my eye teeth to know. <laughs> thank you so much for your call, Jen. Yeah, thank you guys. Okay. Sure. Nice bye-bye. talking with you. Bye bye. Take care. Bye bye. We'd love to hear your questions about language, your questions about parts of the body, as long as they're language-related, and anything else that occurs to you, usage, grammar, slang, you name it. The number to call is 1-877-929-9673. That's 1-877-WAYWARD. Or you can email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Next on Away With Words, it's a word puzzle. Stay tuned. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And we're joined once again by our quiz guy, John Chinesky. Hello, John. Hello, Grant. Hello, Martha. How are you guys? Super duper. How are you doing? How are the kids? I'm doing okay. The kids are fine. He's mm-hmm. getting big. Max is starting preschool soon. That's, oh, that's uh, great. How old is he now? Yeah, he's four. Four. Right. Yeah. So, so hey, is Max short for something? Max is, is short for Maxwell. Maxwell. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Middle name House or no? Middle name Joseph. Joseph. But Maxwell. Jesse's middle name is, is very interesting. Jesse's middle name is Leo. Oh. Yeah, she is named for her, uh, her mom's uh, grand- grandfather, grandfather's. I so, like that. Yeah, right. Jesse Leo. Very pretty. Mm-hmm. And speaking of very pretty, here's a very pretty little quiz I came up with. <laughs> nice segue. Yeah, it's a pretty segue. Here's a quiz that features that most basic form of wordplay, the rhyme. Now, I'll give you a category, and then I'll give you three words. Your job is to find rhymes for each of the three words that fit that category. For example, if the category is numbers and the words are sun, Brew and free, your answers would be one, two, three. One, two, three, right? Real simple. Phew. Okay. Yeah. Got through right. the first one. Okay. okay. Yeah. Good, good. Again, you just have to tell me the three things that fit the category that rhyme with those three words. Got it? Okay. And what's the name of this game? Well, I call it rhyme groups because if, if I find another puzzle <laughs> called rhyme time again, I'm just going to blow my brains out. So. <laughs> I just call it rhyme groups. Rhyme okay. groups doesn't rhyme. It doesn't, it doesn't have to. Don't want it to. Okay. Ready to go? Here we go. First category is units of time. And the words are flower, peak, beckoned. All right. So hour, hour week. A week. And second. Hour, week, and second. Yes, very good. One, two, three. Boom, boom, boom. Okay. Here's the next category. U.S. Postal Service street suffixes. <laughs> I'm afraid that's the shortest way to to categorize this. But when you hear the the, the words, I think you'll understand what okay, I'm going for. Sure. Thrive, grace, ferris. So drive, yes, place, place and terrace. And terrace, Ooh. yes, very good. Um, here's the next one. 
Singers who use just one name. Dual, sink, spork. <laughs> um, okay. Stool sink spork. So Bjork is the last one. Right. Bjork. <laughs> and Jewel is the first one. Right. Jewel is the first, yeah. So who's sink. the sink? Right. Beck? No. Um. <laughs> sink. Sink. Pink. Pink oh, is correct. Pink. Yeah. There we go. There's a case where you could kind of just run through the letters and eventually. Okay, next category is. Uh, you know what? I want to do this one different. I'm just going to give you the three words and see if you can guess the category. Oh. See how that works, okay? Oof. Oh, yeah, Because yeah. you're doing so well. Uh-huh, right? okay. Knocker, menace, thicket. I have I have it. Yeah, what do you got? These are sports. These are sports. And they're soccer, tennis, and cricket. Very Yay. good, Martha. Very nice. nice. Uh, let's try again with the next yeah, one, okay? Like These the... are the three words. Motion, cuddle, fond. Sounds naughty. It does. Mm. I went right to lotion. This, this particular one does sound a little lotion. motion, cuddle, and fond. Right. Oh, bodies of water. Yes, bodies of water. So ocean, puddle, and pond. Oh, very very good, good, Grant. A sweep. A sweep from Grant. Good job. But let's try this last one. Here we go. Just the words Darling, cloth, gumbo. Darling, cloth, gumbo. Yeah. This one's tough. I'm going to have to give you the, uh, the category. Wait, wait, wait. But I'll give you, give no, you a shot. No. What? You think you have it? Are these Disney no. characters? You're close. Um, cartoon characters. Cartoon Elef- animals. Are they elephants? I'm thinking Gumbo is Dumbo. That's my... Gumbo is Dumbo. Or it could That's... be Jumbo. It's not... <laughs> it could be, but it's not. It's, it's definitely Dumbo. Oh, Dumbo. But, okay. But the more specific the category is things that fly. Oh, so starling. Good. What was the second word? Cloth. Moth. Moth. And Dumbo. And you got it. Very oh, good. Wow. Okay. That was tough. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was a lice cob, you guys. Well. Um, rank Lou. Um. <laughs> oh, there's a word for a welcome. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, John. It was great fun, as always. And I know everyone at home is going, yeah, 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 bring me some more. So you'll have some more for us next week. I'll have some more for you next week. Super duper. All right. And if you'd like to talk with us about funny words, grammar, slang, punctuation, Give us a call. The number is 1-877-929-9673. The number is 1-877-WAYWARD or send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, Martha. Hi, Grant. This is Pat in Richland, Michigan, which is near Kalamazoo. Hiya, Pat. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. What's up? Well, I get regular emails from a website that's called Head Butler, and it gives recommendations mostly for books and music and that kind of thing. And recently they had a review of Carla Bruni's new CD. She's the First Lady of France. Yeah. And the review said this, She's got a cashmere voice and a killer body, plays decent guitar, and writes her own lyrics, can hold her own with queens and statesmen. And then it says... She must be stopped, which is written with a period after each word. And I've seen that before, um, using periods and capitalizing each word that way to emphasize the words. And it seems to me such a perfect way to transcribe that tone people take when they're making a thread or some dire pronouncement or explaining something to a little child or a Mm -hmm. simpleton or something. And to me, it conveys a lot more than uh, something like italics or all caps. 
And I think it's just a fantastic use of punctuation, but I don't remember seeing it until pretty recently, and I found it hard to search for online. I was thinking maybe read my lips might have been written down that way, and I think that was from 1988, but I didn't find any example of that. So can you tell me, does it go back farther than just a few years, and can you trace who invented it? Because that person's a genius as far as I'm concerned. Well, let's talk about this a little bit. Most of the people that I know that have looked into this, and believe me, other people have looked into this phenomenon, trace it to a Simpsons episode from 1997. Really? Yes. That's fantastic. They are geniuses. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's the short answer. The long answer is, in this particular episode, which they named Worst Episode Ever, comic book guy, if you remember, he's this overweight guy wearing a T-shirt that usually has some kind of pop culture reference on it. Yes, And he's a little bit supercilious and full of himself and thinks that he's like the expert on all this pop culture that he consumes. In this episode, he says that. He says, Worst Episode Ever, in this particular comic book guy voice. He says something like, Worst Episode episode ever like that. Yes, I remember it very well. And that episode is an in-joke made by the writers of The Simpsons to refer to their fans who online had gotten into the habit first of saying worst episode ever about a variety of Simpsons episodes. And then it became kind of an in-joke for that group to every time a new episode of The Simpsons came out to say worst episode ever. And so they're kind of got comic book guy standing in for these fans, so they're, they're kind of poking back at the fans. I and love so, it. Yeah, after that episode then, Pat, what happened was um, the fans adopted it so much, and there are a lot of Simpsons fans. The show's been on yeah. for, what, 16 years now, yeah. that um, they started using that everywhere, and it became worst whatever ever. You could put anything in the blank, worst book ever, worst show ever. And they began to punctuate in such a way to indicate that kind of way that the comic book guy says it. And sometimes, in order to indicate how that last word is pronounced, they say, they spell it E-V-A-R. Ever. Ever. Mm -hmm. Ever. Yeah, (laughs) E-V-A-R instead of E-V-E-R. It's perfect, isn't it, Pat? It's great. That really is sheer genius, I think. But, But that particular writing style, to use punctuation to indicate that there's something deliberate or forceful being said, has been traced back by the fans of the website language log, to the 1950s at least. So just to to kind of recap here, the Simpsons are responsible probably, most likely, for the current wave of this. Because something can happen online that before we all were typing for a living, let's face it, everybody in our day jobs at home, we have computers, the penetration of computers is great. We all type a lot more. We all use text a lot more than we would have even 20 years ago. And this kind of like little clever way to use language wouldn't have traveled as far in the 1950s. So it kind of took some big pop culture thing like The Simpsons in order to make it happen. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that because um, I, I love that use and, uh, and it's great to know once it came. Thank you for your sharp eye, Pat. Not everyone, you know, sometimes this stuff slips by and not everyone catches it. But Well, it had slipped by me for several years, it seems. So mm-hmm. <laughs> thank you very, very much. You're welcome, yeah, Pat. Thanks for calling. Okay, thanks Bye-bye. a lot. Bye-bye. Grant? Martha, did I say too much? I <laughs> thought that was the best answer ever. <laughs> oh, you flatter me. Do I get an award? <laughs> How about a pay raise? That's, no, that's fantastic. Well, we'd love to take your calls about anything that you've seen that is curious and makes you wonder about its origins. By all means, give us a call, one 929 9673 That's 1-877-WAYWARD. Things that make you go, hmm. You can write us about those at words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is 
Keith Darcy calling from San Diego. Hi, Keith. Got a question for us today? I do. I do. Um, I'm hoping you can help me with a phrase that uh, I grew up saying in South Louisiana. Um, in in the Cajun area, whenever you hop in a car and drive to a place, once you arrive at that place, uh, it's not unusual for the driver to turn to everyone else in the car and say something like, uh, am I the only one who's going to get down, or are we all getting down together, or something like that. Um, I just sort of thought it was a normal way of describing the act of getting out of a vehicle until uh, I got uh, into college at LSU and uh, made friends with people from New Orleans who just laughed hysterically at me every time I would use the phrase. So I've always wondered you know, what it's rooted in, if it's uh, a, a, a phrase that people say in you know, rural areas of, you know, in the rest of the country or if it's something unique to you know, southern Louisiana or you know, the Cajun area. If maybe it's um, you know, an English translation of a French phrase from mm-hmm. 100 mm-hmm. years ago. So you're saying the vehicle arrives, the driver or somebody say, I'm, I'm going to get down now, and they mean they're getting out of the vehicle, right? Exactly. They don't mean that there's, uh, that there's gunfire and they need to hide. Or right. Rock. Or that Casey and the Sunshine Band have showed up. <laughs> right. Exactly, exactly. Okay. No, we're not going to jump out and start dancing. In, in right, right, okay. yeah. <laughs> well, you have a very good instinct about the possibility of it having to do with French, because in French you do basically descend from a vehicle. The, Descendre. Uh, right. right, right. The verb is, and, and you have something similar in Spanish. You bajar, you, you go down from, from the vehicle. And it appears that in that part of the country, it's one of those calques, what we call a calque, C-A-L-Q-U-E, where it's a direct translation from the French. Do you also invite somebody to have a coffee rather than have coffee? Absolutely, absolutely. And in New Orleans, actually, people in New Orleans are sort of famous for saying that they're going to make groceries. Mm-hmm. Right. We've talked about that before. Sure, that's right. a great one. Tons right. of this. And French isn't completely gone down there. It still exists enough, uh, at least among the older set, that it can still have some influence on the English language, right? Absolutely. The funny thing is that we do see get down in various parts of the country from time to time. And I, I think that in that sense of, of getting down from a vehicle, people will say something like, get down and stay a while. Um, I, I also like, wondered if it was connected maybe to, you know, days when people traveled on horses yes. and, and buggies where you actually had to step far down to get sure, back sure. to Sure, yeah. Yeah, it's these a nice days, little unless, vestige. Yeah. Unless you're climbing out of a monster truck, you're not really getting down <laughs> these days, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So so you do see that scattered in pockets around the country. It's, it's really interesting. But definitely I think there's a French connection there in uh, Cajun country. Heroin? <laughs> oh no! I'm Big kidding. easy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's great to uh, finally get a, a a conclusive explanation and know that uh, I'm not alone. That I can safely travel around the country and not feel like I'm uh, the only one saying these sorts of things. Keith, thank you so much for your call. This was a great question. We always love talking about dialects in the United States. So we sometimes think that Americans all speak alike, but we don't. We do not. There's too not many at of all. us. Not at all. Thanks Thanks for the answer. I really appreciate it. Okay. Sure. Thanks, Bye-bye. Keith. Sure. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, if you've got a question about something they say down home, we'd like to hear it.
Give us a call, 1-877-929-9673. That's 1-877-929-WAYWARD. Or email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Elaine calling from Indianapolis, Indiana. What you up to? Uh, so I have this question. A teacher friend of mine used the phrase, he's the spitting image of his father. And I thought that the phrase is supposed to be, he's the spit and image of his father. Uh-huh. So I wonder if you could help to sort that out. I'm thinking maybe spitting image may be a corruption and maybe isn't quite as complimentary. I'm not sure you would want to be called the spit and image of your father, but I think that means more like, you know, you take after him and have his look and his ways. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's so, exactly right. So just to clarify, we're talking about the, the phrase spitting image, S-P-I-T-T-I-N-G-I-M-A-G-E, spitting image, and spit and image, S-P-I-T-A-N-D-I-M-A-G-E, right? That's correct. And mm-hmm. I think okay. I've actually seen it written both ways. Yep. Oh, you yeah, probably have. Sure. You probably have. But, Elaine, I think your hunch is right on because for years and years and years, centuries, people have used that as a metaphor. As far back as 1825, you see the expression, he's the very spit of, the very likeness. And you also see um, in the 19th century the expression spit and image of something or spit and picture. So, ah. so I, you can see how spit and might become spitten right. or spitting. There was a really interesting article written a few years ago by uh, Larry Horn from Yale University who had some interesting theories about this expression as well, uh-huh. suggesting that maybe it's a participial adjective, uh, spitten, that is something that has been spat out. Uh huh. Um, and I don't know, Grant. I mean, it's it's a hypothesis, I should say. But, are, are you uh, going to force me to explain exactly what he was referring to? <laughs> I'm pitching that softball right over the plate. L- let, let us just say, Elaine, that Larry's theory is a little off the wall and a little risque, but it's the idea that when you say spit an image, S P I T T E N, you're referring to the fact that the father somehow during the sex act passed along his looks and behavior to the child. Yes, I know. I've tried to handle that as delicately as I could. It's Um, becoming more and more unfortunate for the child, I think. Yes, it is. I I know Larry. Uh, He's a colleague of mine, and Larry has a very wry and dry sense of humor, and I suspect that uh, he meant this, but he also meant the, the comedy of it. He hasn't convinced me, though, Martha, that it just doesn't come from spit and image. Really? Well, I hope we have sufficiently muddied these waters, Elaine. <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for your call. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, wow, Martha. Um, you handled that so gracefully, Grant. Oh, did I? I didn't yes. know that I had the grace in me. I think you did. I mean, Larry's article is wonderfully witty, too. I really enjoyed reading it. Mm-hmm. And I think he may be onto something. I, I do. I know you're skeptical about that, but... Um. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. There's, I think there's work left to be done. And we may never know, like most origins of words and f- expressions, we may never know. Right. Further research is needed. If you've got a linguistic question or you want to know a word origin, we can't promise we'll always know the answer, but we'll give it our best shot. So give us a call at one 929 9673 or email us words at waywardradio.org.
How's your knowledge of slang? Find out when Away With Words continues. Support for Away With Words comes from National Geographic Books, publisher of I'm Not Hanging Noodles From Your Ears, a collection of intriguing idioms from around the world by Jag Bala. Learn more at shopng.com slash noodles. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. It's time for another round of Slang This, our weekly slang challenge. Grant, today's contestant from the National Puzzlers League is Dave Dickerson of New York City. Hello. Well, you may recognize Dave's name from his occasional features on the show This American Life. He's also a serious puzzler. Dave, what's your specialty? Uh, variety cryptic crossword puzzles. Uh-huh. What's that? Uh, what does that mean? The, the strange stuff you see in the back of Harper's or the Atlantic Monthly. You used to show at Atlantic Monthly. Oh, the CIA doesn't put those there? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, I always thought those were secret messages to their operatives. You know, it's a funny. There was, there was uh, in the 90s, there were about four or five venues you could write those things for. And I was actually making a couple hundred dollars a, year, a month uh, doing that. And then, you know, they all collapsed within a month or two of each other. Do you other. think that you were a part of that collapse? Uh, yes, in the sense that I don't think the structure was able to hold that much greatness. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let's see how you do today, wise guy. <laughs> you guys have really got me into the mood for a slang quiz. So let me tell you how we play, Dave. Sure. Grant's going to give you a sentence with a blank in it, and then he'll give you three slang words that might fill in that blank. So your job will be to figure out which slang word fits best. And I haven't seen these before, so I'll be joining you, and we'll try to figure it out together, okay? Sure. Here's the first part of the quiz. We've got two questions today. I'm going to read a sentence. You fill in the blank. We'll see how you do, okay? Okay. Of course you have to tell her. Grow a pair for once. You need to blank and just tell her you want a divorce. Is it A... Surrender, Dorothy, and just tell her you want a divorce. Is it B, cowboy up, and just tell her you want a divorce? Or is it C, stir the fire, and just tell her you want a divorce? I guess it depends on why you're divorcing someone, uh, because I think surrender, Dorothy, would suggest a completely different reason. Oh, right. Something about the rainbow flag, right? right? Um, mm-hmm. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say cowboy up. I like uh, that. Because that would be somewhat, because it sounds like the person in this scenario is uh, having trouble with his courage. Ah, yes. And, 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 and is, I'm going to be pres- presumably male, uh, and uh, therefore the cowboy thing is more is, uh, uh, relevant in that respect. There we go. Exactly be right. Be a man and, and do that. To cowboy up means to act like John Wayne in one of the old westerns. It's a be tough, self-reliant, brave, as you say, courageous, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, grow a pair was the clue there, right? Yeah. 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 So yeah, we were talking about a man. Here we go. Another one. Thanks to a 24-hour blank, the campaign was able to raise an incredible $10 million and put the candidate back in the running. Was it a 24-hour lemonade sale, a 24-hour candy cane parade, or a 24-hour money bomb? Wow. That is so cool. A candy cane parade? Yeah, it's just like your childhood fantasy come real. Oh, my goodness. That and a teddy bear's picnic? I'm I'm back to Babes in Toyland with uh, Laurel Hardy. (laughs) Laurel and Hardy. Um, uh, What was the – I thought it was was lemonade sale – 
candy cane parade and a money bomb. That's right. Now, money bomb sounds like you'd be spending money rather than rather than getting it coming in. I'm going to guess lemonade sale where you're squeezing out the last of anything you have to sell, uh, t- taking lemons and making lemonade. Nice. So I that like would be that. my that that's my suspicion. And so you two are in agreement on this? Well, Dave, you're ruling out the candy canes. Well, I was trying to think. A candy cane parade. Well, what would that be? A candy cane parade sounds like a dog and pony show, right? Where you where you get people to show up. No one pays for a parade. Well, that's true. Uh, I'm thinking and, of the Lollipop have, League. Yeah, I don't know. Well, the the Lollipop Guild. Uh, the, uh, the the stripes remind me of flags or whatever, so there might be a patriotic thing. But uh, honestly, candy canes are candy canes are seasonal. It's they're all made in me. China. They're not patriotic. What are you talking right. about? <laughs> so so really, uh, lemonades are the only thing I could think. Well, and of course, I'm I'm at this point thinking of the McCain campaign, and uh, they you know. Uh, I, I associate them more with lemons. Uh, <laughs> what, they're bringing it in a quarter yeah, of the just, time? Just, I don't he understand. Just seems, he seems grumpy is all. Okay, I think so. it's a good guess. I, I like lemonade sale, too. I'm going with Dave. He seems to know what he's talking about. Um, You're both wrong. Oh, come <laughs> on. And that Wait, is how let, I got through grad school. Let me, <laughs> we were so close, but it was C, not A. The correct answer was Money Bomb. Ron Paul's campaign, for example, used a bunch of these. They take an, an intense period, say 24 hours long, and they petition everyone they know in all their databases and all their mailing lists and try to get them to donate money to raise a lot of money for that period. It's kind of like a false sales event. You know how they have these these celebration spring sales event from Toyota on television <laughs> where they're trying to sell these cars? It's not a holiday, but they're trying to make it like it's something. That's what a money bomb is. Are, are the other two also terms? No, they're completely made up. You made the up. Candy Cane Parade is a stroke of genius. <laughs> I have um, to say. That sounds like it deserves a, a niche in in, in the in the slang I liked, biome, I liked the way that you were saying that it was a dog and pony show. It could easily be another word for that, right? Yes. Dog and pony show is a little outdated. Maybe this can be the dog and pony show of two thousand eight. That would be great. Well, I gotta say, Dave, I had really great fun. That, this was a hoot. This was a, a hoot. hoot. Yay! Thank you so much, Dave. Thanks, for Dave. With us. Hoot. You can find out more about the National Puzzlers League at puzzlers.org. And you can join us right here on the show with your questions or comments about slang or about anything else language-related. Call us at 1-877-929-9673 or email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. And don't forget, you can always jump into the fray on our discussion forums at waywardradio.org slash discussion. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, this is Grace from Highland, Wisconsin. Hello, Grace. How are you? Hi, Grace. I'm real fine. I'm hoping that you can help me with the word that my grandmother from Indiana used to use. The word is dauncey. How are you and, spelling that? Well, I don't really know. I've never seen it in print. Ah, I'm dauncey? guessing it's something like D-A-U-N-C-Y, but I've, I've never seen it. I've never heard anybody except my grandmother use it. And Grace, how would your grandmother use it? She would use it to describe how she was feeling if she was not feeling really good but didn't have a specific symptom. Hmm. Under the weather, maybe a little queasy. Mm-hmm. Poorly. Poorly, yeah. Your spelling is probably the most common one in the United States, D-A-U-N-C-Y. Uh-huh. I first encountered this word in the Dictionary of Smoky Mountain English. Love that publication. It's a great dictionary. There are a couple other spellings, D-O-N-S-I-E. And that spelling, D-O-N-S-I-E, 
um, kind of gives away the root of this. It comes to American English from Scots English. And the meaning that you give is one of the meanings that is still used today in, all over Appalachia and a few other parts of the country. Here's the best explanation of it that I've ever seen. About 20 years ago, uh, Vic Wheels, who wrote for the Knoxville Journal, described it this way. He said, um, when it is applied to the self and when it applies to another person, the meanings are different. I feel daunty might mean I feel dizzy or slightly ill or nauseated. But when put on somebody else, daunty can mean, at least in some localities, that the person is intoxicated, addled, silly, stupid, or, according to some interpretations, quick-tempered and even saucy or pert. Did you ever hear it that way, Grace? No, no. Um, she only used it to apply to herself. And uh, the rest of the family, we weren't even sure that it was really a word. We thought it might have been something she'd made up. No, no, no. There's still plenty. As a matter of fact, this word is common enough that it was used in the 19... I guess it was the 1950s. Well, in, in an I Love Lucy episode, the particularly well-known episode where she's pregnant, and in describing the way she feels of mor- from morning sickness, Lucy says that she feels dauncy. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. So, so it's common enough to show up in popular television, at least in that era, and you'll find it used here and again in some fiction these days, though I, I suspect that most of the fiction writers just pulled it out of a dictionary. It's a great dialect word. It still is in use in parts of the United States, probably among the older generations, but I wouldn't be surprised if it continues to be used here and there for several generations to come. It's got a nice feel to it. It's got a wonderful sound to it. I mean, it sounds like what it is, doesn't it, Grace? Yes, it does. Well, Grace, thank you so much for your call today. Thanks for bringing this word uh, to the airways. Well, thank you, and I really appreciate the information. I, I love your show. All thank right. Thank you so much. Bye-bye, Grace. Thanks so Goodbye. much. Bye-bye. Well, as you know, Martha and I just love the heck out of old expressions and dialect things and stuff that your grandma used to say. So uh, pop us an email, words at waywardradio.org, or give us a call, 1-877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, Grant. Uh, My name is Jeff. I'm calling from Hawaii. I have a couple questions about uh, acronyms, initialisms, and possibly even macronyms. Okay. Wow. (laughs) Um, I work in the joint military environment, and uh, I meet a lot of people from the Army and the Marine Corps and Air Force and different services. I'm I'm in the Navy, so uh, I've been exposed to a bunch of new acronyms I hadn't really heard a lot. And while we were having this discussion, I stopped one of my friends and said, I don't know if that's an acronym so much as a initialism. Mm-hmm. And uh, he hadn't heard that. So I wanted to ask, first of all, if maybe I'm being too academic about splitting up acronyms and initialisms. Oh, no, I don't think you can ever be too academic about splitting up acronyms and initialisms. That's great. Um, But then once we got into this discussion, I was asked, well, what about like radar and AWOL, where they aren't actually English words, but we use them as acronyms. We've actually made a word up out of the um, abbreviation. Well, then let's let's clarify our terms just for a second. There there are two things to say here. One is the lexicographers and linguists tend to be very specific about the meaning of acronym and the meaning of initialism, whereas the general public doesn't. And sometimes this is where differences of opinion arrive. It exactly. sounds like you're falling on the linguist and lexicographer camp, right? I've been listening to you guys too much, so I believe. Oh that. yeah, we're, we're, in, <laughs> we're like a bad disease. We're, we, everyone catches us. Yeah. Um, so initialisms are something like CBS or IBM, where it can't be pronounced as a word. 
right? You say mm-hmm. the names of the letters in order to say the thing. Right. But acronyms are things like NASA, where the letters can be pronounced as a word, right? Right. So, and then, so then you're agreeing with me that radar is actually an acronym. Here's the key. Here's the trick. Here's the trick. Martha will agree with me on this. I know she will. They're both initialisms, but Ah. only the ones that can be pronounced as words are acronyms. Uh Initialisms are the umbrella category, and acronyms are a subset of initialisms. Right. And and then, again, am I being uh, too flip to use macronym? Is that not academic enough? Well, macronym is not an established term in linguistics or in lexicography, and we should define that too, Martha. That's an acronym made of other acronyms, right? Right, and I have an example, actually, a synthetic aperture radar, where the initialism, I guess, radar, is inside of the acronym. And and what is the acronym? What is the macronym, then? Um, uh, S-A-R, SAR. um, SAR, gotcha. Yeah, that's great. That's a good example. Well, thank you very much. You've been very helpful and, I think, uh, decisive and in my question. Okay. Excellent. Glad to hear it. Thank you so much for your call, Jeff. Thanks. Bye-bye. Aloha. If you're seeking clarity, we'll do our best to provide it. The number to call is one 929 9673 That's 1-877-929-WAYWARD. Or email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. Yes. This, this is Lillian Chanel, and we're from Park Falls, Wisconsin. Hi, Hi Lillian. Lillian. Hi. My question is, these aren't words that are in our dictionary, and yet they're used so much today, and it is really getting to be nerve-wracking to listen to people speak. They'll say something, and then they'll go, oh, ah, and another one is, oh, you know, and when they're telling you something, no, I don't know. I'm listening to know what you're talking about. And then they always say, yeah, but... And these are just words that just irritate me when we have to sit and listen to somebody on TV or radio speak, and they use these, plus your everyday people. Right. So mm. you're, you're talking about they're filling all the little holes in their language with things like, um, ah, uh, you know, like, I mean, I just, uh, or, uh, all, You right? but, uh, yeah, but, yeah, but. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, but, uh, they repeat themselves and interrupt themselves and re-say things over and over, Right. Right. Lillian, I have a technique that I use that you might find useful. It's a way of kind of diverting your attention away from the fact that you're annoyed about these things and to maybe appreciating that they sometimes take on roles. Sometimes um and ah and those words actually have meaning. In general, they're called disfluencies. It's D-I-S-F-L-U-E-N-C-I-E-S. And it just means it's kind of, you know, the opposite of fluent. You know, they're they're not speaking very clearly, right? Right. Um, one study estimated, this is how often they occur, that they occurred six times per 100 words. And that's 6% of the words that people say might be a disfluency, an um or an ah uh or an er or whatever, an uh. And, and they happen, of course, because people aren't sure what they're going to say and maybe a question has been asked that they're not ready to answer. But they can have a real function. Listen to this. Sometimes... Even professional storytellers, these are people who go around the circuits and maybe they'll do it for radio or they'll do it at a, at a, uh, at a theater or they'll do it at, at fairs. They'll tell stories for a living, a story that they've told a thousand times. If they insert uh or um or uh, whatever at the very beginning, mm-hmm. people pay more attention. By oh. using these particular kind of devices to interrupt the flow of your speech, you call people's attention to what you're about to say. 
And research has shown that you are more likely to understand what comes after an uh or an um than if I leave it out. If I say the same sentence to you and leave out the uh or the um, you might get it less. You'll understand less of it. What do you think about that? Well, that's possible. So what I'm suggesting, and this might help you a little bit, not be quite so annoyed about it, just think that every time they say um and uh, pay attention to what happens after, and you might find that it's the most important thing that they have to say. You might. Lillian, I've been paying attention to you, and I haven't heard an um or an ah. So you've got the bar pretty high there. I did hear some from you, Grant, Yes, just a yes, second ago. The, yep, though. they happen. Did they you do hear those, happen. Lillian? Yeah. Well, yes, it is. But, you know, um, what brought this more to my attention was my one grandson would always say, every time his mother would say something to him, yeah, but. And she was so angry with him for doing that all the time. So I would charge him a quarter every time he said it, and I'd be darned if I didn't say it, and I owed, he owed me, you know, it was vice versa. But when he went home after two weeks up here with us, my daughter says, he doesn't say it anymore. <laughs> well, there you go. There you hit on something. Once people's attention is brought to the fact that they have these verbal tics and they're made to be aware that they're habitual, I mean, they're like tobacco or alcohol. Actually, they're more like a disease. They're catching. A friend of mine, he uses the word dude all the time. It seems like he starts every other sentence with the word dude. He's like, dude, we've got to go do this, or dude, we've got to go do that. And when I hang around him, I go home with a bad case of dude. And I have to work (laughs) really hard to shake it. And ums and ers and uhs and you knows and I mean and I like and I just and all those, they're catching. They're like like the flu or the common cold. But if you pay (laughs) attention to them, you can cut them out of your speech. The best tactic to take is to replace them with a pause. Because right. if you, because the thing is, if you're saying uh, if you're saying um, you're probably doing that because you need just a second to collect your thoughts. So just take that second, but fill it with silence. Don't fill it with some utterance that's more or less meaningless. Oh. Well, Lillian, I'm glad we don't have the quarter thing going on among <laughs> ourselves because I think I'd be out several quarters. Well, it's very nice call. to hear hear from both of you, and it's a pleasure to talk with you. Nice. I'll watch my too. language from here on out, Lillian. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Well, don't him and haw. Give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. That's our show for this week. Support for our program comes from Mozy Online Backup. Got data? Visit mozy.com. If you didn't get on the air today, don't worry. You can leave us a message anytime, day or night. Call 1-877-929-9673. You can also email your questions to words at waywardradio.org or join the conversations going on right now in our discussion forum. You'll find them at waywardradio.org slash discussion. Stephanie Levine is our senior producer. Our technical director and editor is Tim Felton. Tim also engineered our theme music. Kurt Conan produced it. We've had production help this week from Michael Bagdasian. From Studio West in San Diego, I'm Martha Barnett. And from the Argo Network in New York City, I'm Grant Barrett, inviting you to join us next week right here on Away With Words. So long. Arrivederci. potato, I like potato, you like tomato, I like tomato, potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Hey, listeners, we have a favor to ask. We'd love for you to fill out our listener survey at gum.fm slash words.
Your feedback is crucial. It's quick, and it helps us make our show even better. It shapes our show, helps us plan, and ensures we're bringing you the content you love. That's G-U-M dot F-M slash W-O-R-D-S. Thanks for being a part of what we do. Thank you.